0: Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a friend and they were saying they were telling me about another family And maybe potentially coming to church sometime, but they said They have some church baggage And I thought Me too And then I thought well, doesn't everyone Like (laughs) yes, that was a quick yes (laughs) Yeah, if, if you've been a part of a church for a while, you're gonna have some church baggage and uh, that's You know not to say church is a bad thing. It can be a very good thing But wherever there are people there can be baggage and I want to share I was just sharing with alan uh, I was part of a connect group for young families and i'm i was the oldest one in there So don't think that. yeah, I don't think I qualify anymore But anyway, uh, we did like a little sports kind of thing at the end, you know Three two one and then you say something we did three two one survive And I thought that was pretty awesome Because sometimes, you know, if you live life, you have some baggage, right? Just like if you grow up in a family, you have some family baggage. Almost all of us would say that. That doesn't mean families are a bad thing, does it? Families can be a very good thing. Uh, But relationships are just complicated. Right now, Jenny, who is my wife, I'm going to say her name a couple of times. So my wife is named Jenny. So if you hear that name, that's who she is. That's, That's who it is, my wife. Uh, But she's reading a book right now that she's been telling me about called The Cost of Community. And I think that's a really great title and the content is good because it's to say that relationships are important. Maybe we'd say essentially important and they're costly. It's a both and because it's a it's I, I would say mixed bag. But to be in a relationship is to sacrifice. It's to cost to be a part of a church, a family. It's from other people that we experience our deepest wounds and most vexing frustrations. And it's through other people where we experience our most profound healings and greatest joy. So today, as we're looking at the scriptures and thinking about relationships, and we're in this series uh, called Reconcilable Differences, acknowledging that as people we have differences and and there's reconciliation that needs to happen sometimes. We're going to look at a story ...that that talks about some of the highs and the lows of real-life relationships. Uh, So when we talk about Paul, sometimes we call him the Apostle Paul... ...we are not just talking about an individual. Yes, Paul of Tarsus was an individual. But when we talk about Paul, we're talking about a whole team of people who worked with him. Uh, we We could list loads of people that we know about who worked with Paul... One of the ones that comes to mind is Luke, the doctor who wrote the, the gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts that tells us about the early church. But there were so many people uh, who, who were part of what Paul was doing in the, the mission efforts in the early church to spread the gospel all over the world. Paul was the one responsible for writing about half of the books in the New Testament. There's 27 and, I, and, and he wrote 13, we think. Uh, So so it's about half and a lot of times in a Paul a letter from Paul He writes he lists some other people who wrote it with him So this is a team of people that we're we're talking about and today We're going to talk about the person. This is just my opinion But that the person who is most responsible for paul's ministry success Without this person. I don't think we would have ever heard about paul, but god Used this person. So uh, this can get a little bit confusing too. So who was Paul? He grew up as Saul was his other name. Uh, he was from a town called Tarsus in modern day Turkey. Turkey has been in the news a lot lately. They just had a terrible earthquake that affected Turkey and Syria. So that's where the area sort of where Paul's from. Uh, so Saul of Tarsus was born. He was Jewish. And initially, in his early adulthood, he was very much against the, the movement of Jesus, the people of Jesus. He thought it was heretical, it was wrong, it was false teaching. So he was dead set to oppose it. He persecuted people who were Christians. We know he even approved of one death, but he was zealous for his faith. And we would say now, he would say later in his life, completely misguided As he was attacking Jesus, Jesus had already resurrected and ascended into heaven. So he wasn't around, but he was attacking the early church until he had an experience of Christ. He had a vision and his life was changed. Christ called him to into mission work. He became a a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And uh, somewhere in the, the New Testament, his name flips from Saul to Paul. So you, we're going to see the name Saul a few times, but just to be clear, we're going to use Paul most of the time. So we'll say Saul slash Paul when we're reading, but that's, that's who he is. So we're going to start in Acts 9. This is 26 through 27 that we're reading. When Saul slash Paul came to Jerusalem, so this is after he'd had the experience with Christ. He's, he's become a follower. He has this calling from the resurrected Jesus— and he's coming to Jerusalem where the apostles, those, those people who had followed Jesus, were headquartered. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that Paul really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul slash Paul, on his journey, had seen the Lord. Barnabas was a trusted leader. The apostles trusted Barnabas. They did not trust Paul. Barnabas was the one who took Paul in and said, I'm vouching for this guy. He had so much respect that they listened to him. He vouched for for Paul, and uh, he was a really important early leader in the church. His name, just kind of a side note, his name was actually Joseph. But he went by Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. Apparently Barnabas was a really good encourager. He was respected. He was the encourager. So Barnabas, early on, he knew all the apostles. He was the one vouching for Paul. He was charged with leading a church in Antioch. Now Antioch, Syria had what's probably the model church, the model congregation in the New Testament. But the way that Luke writes about Antioch in Acts, it just makes it seem like that is the best church that they had going on. And it had already started and great things were happening. People were coming together. It was like the picture of reconciliation. People of different ethnicities from different places there were different types of leaders there and they were coming together and it was this really amazing congregation. Where they were taking up collections and giving it to people who were so different and there was all this it just seemed like it was really going very well. And so Barnabas gets to go there he he becomes a leader a teacher at Antioch and uh and things are going great. And then Barnabas makes a really curious decision. He doesn't just leave well enough alone, but he does this in Acts eleven twenty five through 26 Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for for Saul slash Paul and when he found him Barnabas brought Paul to Antioch for a whole year Barnabas and Saul slash Paul met with the church and taught great numbers of people the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What was Paul doing in Tarsus? We don't really know. Uh, he had come to Christ. He met with the leaders in Jerusalem. And they welcomed him in after Barnabas intervened. But we know that this is, this is Paul's hometown. We don't know what he was doing with his faith. Was he pastoring? Was he, we don't know. But what we do know is Barnabas hunted him down and said, gave him this golden opportunity. Paul got to be a part of a church where God was doing something extraordinary. And so Paul got to be there firsthand and witnessed it. Because a guy named Barnabas recruited him and gave him the opportunity to be a part of something really great. While they were in, uh, while they were in Antioch. The church, now this is the whole church, just since that the Holy Spirit was setting aside two leaders to send out to spread the good things that were happening in Antioch, the gospel that had taken root, was doing some amazing things there, to spread it into other parts of the the Roman world. And and they believed that it was Barnabas and Paul who they were to send out. And it's interesting too, as Luke writes this story, it's not Paul and Barnabas. It's Barnabas and Paul. And so they go out. They, they do this first missionary journey. They, they start and they go around. And it, and it becomes this really amazing experience that they have. All kinds of things happen. But with great, when, when great things happen, there's great opposition to you. So they had to deal with all this opposition outside of the church. Opposition in the church. There were people who were Christians, and they were saying that Paul and Barnabas were, doing, were out and were wrong. And so they, there, was, there were these battles that they had. And, and it all converged at this council at Jerusalem, where the disciples, the apostles, gathered together. And the, it was contentious, there were arguments. But in the end, the group went with, they affirmed Paul and Barnabas and what they were doing. And so it was this great victory, this ministry that they had to the Gentiles. And it was with wind in their sails and affirmation from the apostles that Barnabas and Paul went back to Antioch to celebrate the great success of that first missionary journey, the great ways that they'd faced all this opposition and had overcome and that they, they had been affirmed and endorsed by the apostles in Jerusalem. So they're back at Antioch. Things are going well. And then it says, Acts fifteen thirty six. it says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see what they are doing. As good as it was to be back home in Antioch, they missed their friends. They missed their new friends. And it was time for a new adventure. So before you can set out, you have to plan. And this is, this is what happens and they're planning, when they're working out the details of going back on a second missionary journey. Acts 15, 37 through 39 tells us. Barnabas wanted to take John, also known as Mark, with them. And we're going to call him Mark. There are a lot of Johns, so we're just going to stick with Mark. This is the guy when Gospel of Mark's named after. So we're going to stick with Mark here. But Paul did not think it was wise to take Mark. Because Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They, this is Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. At this point, Barnabas takes Mark with him somewhere and disappears from the the rest of the New Testament. We don't know in the narrative of the New Testament whatever happened to Barnabas. He's never to be heard from again. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Do you hear the pain in those words? Keep in mind, maybe Luke knows Paul very well. But, but there's this. They, they had been the dream team. Paul and Barnabas were this dream team. They faced, as we said, opposition outside the church and inside. And they had all these experiences together. It was Barnabas who, who stood in the gap and, and vouched for Paul when other people wouldn't. Barnabas tracked him down to give him a shot. Barnabas had done all this, and they had always been this great team. And now here they are. They have a disagreement over whether or not Mark can come with them. And it's so sharp that they part company. Now that is really disappointing. But as we leave that story there for now... I, I want to keep in mind this, what we know here about Paul and Barnabas and Paul's history. As we look at words that Paul wrote after they parted later, we know that Paul wasn't, wasn't a person who never had to deal with irreconcilable differences. Paul was not a person where everything, every relationship went smooth, every, everybody lived happily ever after together, and it was harmony and, and all this stuff. But Paul knew firsthand like the difficulties and the pains of when, you need, when, when you're irreconciled, when there's a breakup, when it hurts, when there's a separation. So with, with that in mind, again, we're going to look at words that Paul wrote years later to a group in Corinth. This is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Paul had some church baggage here. Some of the baggage had been done to him, and some of it he was at fault with. And yet, we know, we know about some of the baggage and a painful separation, and this wasn't the only separation he experienced, but it was the most surprising and most disappointing, I would say. But here in these three verses, we have a word for reconcile or reconciliation four times. I wonder if, as Paul wrote these words, if there were any thoughts of Barnabas flashing through his head and what had happened when he set out for that second missionary journey or with Mark or whatever. You wonder what he thought of in his personal life because Paul wasn't always able to stay reconciled with people. He knew how difficult it could be. And yet he said that not just he, but all of us who follow Christ— and by the way, if you are here and you're not a Christian, we're so grateful to have you here with us. And we hope that what you hear is, is helpful. We obviously believe in Jesus and hope you follow him. But just want to let you know, we're glad to have you here. But Paul says, for all those who are Christians, disciples, followers of Christ, that we have the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Now, I think we know that probably just as a church overall, like in the United States, Christians don't always do great with this one, do we? Probably a lot of church baggage that's mentioned happens to do with our struggle in just doing this one. Like, do we have the message and ministry of reconciliation or not? Uh, Because a lot of people have just had these experiences and just had these separations. had, Had things happen and it's been really difficult. And yet, here it is. So let's wrestle with this. Let's think with this. The message and ministry of reconciliation that we're charged with. So let's go to what Paul says next in 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's kind of scary. (laughs) Representing Christ? Wow. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What do uh, ambassadors do? When you think of an ambassador, go ahead and yell it out. (laughs) I like that, Mike. (laughs) You are the no soup ambassador today, I think. (laughs) Represent somebody. Yes, John represent somebody John John not John Mark, right? (laughs) Ambassadors represent someone or something Like in our language in our culture when we think of I think of a, a country or maybe even a kingdom like the united kingdom has a ambassador to the united states and to other parts of the world, but ambassadors represent one, their home place, their kingdom, their country, their whatever. I think of even like recently I watched a Michael Jordan documentary and they were calling him the ambassador of basketball in America when he went other places. So an ambassador represents, uh, can represent a lot of things to another place. So the ambassador from the United Kingdom is probably in Washington, D.C. somewhere and is representing the United Kingdom with the uh, United State. So ambassadors represent Now jenny has she's doing this bible plan and it's been good Several people from the congregation are participating. It's a year-long bible plan and there's even a podcast to listen to Well last last sunday. I was listening to jenny's podcast And on there it's talking about exodus and the commentator made this made this uh, comment because ambassadors, another way that we could say something that's similar to ambassadors in the scriptures would be priests in a lot of ways. Because they're rep- priests represent between two parties. Like a priest in Israel represented God uh, to the people and the people to God. But anyway, this was the comment about the priests. God told them, that's the people of Israel, who had just left slavery in Egypt. God sent Moses to deliver the people And he reminded the people, you're free. Remember that the Lord sets you free. God told the people of Israel, they were a kingdom of priests. Priests are mediators. So if the Hebrew nation is a kingdom of priests, that means there has to be someone on the other side of them that needs to be connected with God through them. This is all a part of God's plan to use the Israelites and Jesus specifically as a way to connect himself to the other nations of the world who are not Israelites. So the priesthood is actually both an Old Testament and a New Testament idea. So uh, this was actually a commentary from Exodus 19.6, one of the Old Testament words that says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And then later, in the prophets, Isaiah said, And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. It's in the New Testament, too. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, Who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then in the last book, Revelation, references it a few times, but this is one in five ten. You have made them, these are the followers of Christ, you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. What did priests do? They made sacrifices on behalf of the community. They represented the people to God. They represented God to the people sometimes, and and they were charged with, uh, they were charged with reconciliation in the offerings. They were trying to be the mediators, is another word. A mediator, a lot of times, is is appointed to try to bring reconciliation between two parties who are separated in some way. And the calling of a priest is not just horizontal. When it talks about being. Priests and in the protestant church we talk about the priesthood of all the believers So a pastor like me is not exclusively a priest John's a priest So his words are and mike's a priest and peggy's a priest that we're all priests There's this priesthood of believers So the calling is not just vertical for a a priest to have a vertical relationship with god But it's horizontal too. It's it's representing the people. It's caring about the people Uh, So horizontal and vertical One of the one of the teachings of that is that we go go to god not just for ourselves But for other people We go to god For the other people who god so loves The message of the cross is a message of reconciliation. It's vertical God and and us and horizontal with man too with people The message of the cross is a is a horizontal and a vertical reconciliation Reconciliation that we need with other people because that's really important and that that with god as well When when you think about this calling this calling to be a priest this calling to be an ambassador Do you feel unworthy of that task? Yes, I see one I do I know. I, I know. I am. I feel very unworthy, and I think that if we were to go back to it, I think maybe Paul would have felt unworthy too. In a lot of ways, I mean, he couldn't stay reconciled with Barnabas. Who couldn't stay reconciled with Barnabas? Everybody loved him. He was the son of encouragement, but he didn't always. He struggled with it too. I, I don't think that he was. He, per, he had it perfect. I think maybe other people have have struggled with unworthiness. Uh, I was reading about Aaron the priest. Aaron the priest, the first priest that was really appointed in Israel. And he started by when Moses went up the mountain, he made a golden calf for the people to worship. And then he lied about it to Moses. He just said he threw stuff in the fire and out came a calf. Now that doesn't sound like a person really worthy of priesthood either, do you think? But, But what if, what if as we think about it, The calling, the worthiness is less about the one who is called and more about the one who calls. Because a lot of us just, we don't do it perfectly. Like even in our story, the Church of God is a movement. The guy who's credited with starting the movement, D.S. Warner, he could not stay married to his wife. There There was a divorce there. And that was difficult, that was painful, but a reality of living in this fallen world that we have. Other Christian leaders that are very influential to us, John Wesley, he struggled too. He struggled in his marriage. He struggled with important relationships. And even there was such a sharp dis- dispute with his brother, John Wesley, or Charles Wesley, who, by the way, wrote, last week we quoted our favorite, one of our favorite, Oh Holy Night. He wrote another one of our favorite Christmas songs, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled came from charles wesley but the brothers had such a sharp disagreement that in even following the gospel that they were separated and needed to be reconciled this stuff is really difficult but really important i think we have really good news this morning it's the gospel we proclaim the gospel really good news and and the good news this morning Is about the calling of god and it's how The message of the cross is for us God didn't call me to be a kingdom God didn't call you to be a kingdom God didn't call paul to be a kingdom of priests God called us to be a kingdom Like it's the church collectively. It's not just on an individual, but God believes in us enough. So whatever kind of baggage we have, together we may have some, but we can declare. God calls us to be the kingdom of priests, and we can declare what Paul said, be reconciled to God, even as we struggle with it, maybe in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. But that's the message and the and the ministry we have so since you're part of the kingdom of priests with me Let's make that declaration be reconciled with god ready on three three two one be reconciled to god Let's say it again Three two one be reconciled to god That's the message So, uh Last week, I'll have to tell you, I started off just not feeling good at all. And we talked about at the beginning how you can we'll get church baggage. We just get baggage from people. We get baggage from life. But I'll have to say that it was in church settings with people from this congregation where I would, I would go to these groups and I felt like I had absolutely nothing to give, but maybe everybody in that group would be a priest to me. Yeah, sometimes you think maybe the pastor is supposed to be the priest, but that is not the New Testament model. It's that we're priests together. And so I got to experience some of the healing nature of the church just by some of the the brothers that I was around uh, being priests and talking about what God had said to them and what God had said to them was said through them to me to get through. And it was really good news and really helpful to me to to experience the, the gospel, the good news. God uses other people, so uh, at the as we close out here, near the beginning, we said we don 't know what exactly happened to Paul and Barnabas after the split. After they had such a sharp disagreement, they parted we don 't know exactly what happened to them, but we do know that there is a little more to the story, fortunately, near the end of his life, the apostle Paul uh, was Mostly alone he had only luke with him loyal luke the wonderful doctor And he wrote a letter because he needed some other people around him So he wrote it to one of his dear brothers timothy who he considered as a son in the face faith, faith And so he wrote this letter. We think it's his last new testament letter And he gives this letter to timothy, but he didn't just want timothy to come listen to what it says in second timothy four eleven. one other person get mark And bring him with you. Now that's the gospel. We don't know how Paul and Mark reconciled. But we know that they did. And we know who gets the glory for that. The message of the cross. Will you pray with me? This is the Lord's Prayer. And if you want to voice it with me. Love to have you. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven.